Philippians, if you would, chapter 1. And we want to look at a new section of Scripture tonight. I was thinking and praying this afternoon before I took my nap about this, that uh, I always do this whenever I uh, teach the Bible. Not only want to give information and instruction, there's a place for that. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, the Bible was given for doctrine, but also want the Bible to speak for us and answer the so what questions. It does that also, so that when you, you walk out of the door, you're left with something to, uh, to proverbially hang your hat on, so that you can say, okay, what am I going to do about what I heard tonight? And such is the case tonight. I believe this will help you. Philippians 1, we'll look there. In just a minute, I'm sure that you have noticed that some people do not age well. Uh, it seems like uh, when they grow old, they become grumpy. Their attitude goes south. I, uh, it's been said that Abraham Lincoln said that after a man turns 40, he's responsible for his face. Now, I don't know what he means if you're 38 years old. I know what he means by it, but it's an interesting thought. It was said that uh, a man was recommended for his cabinet. And he said, no, I, I don't want him in my cabinet. And someone said, well, he's a wise man. He could help you. And he said, no, I don't like his face. And they asked him about that. Well, what do you mean you don't like his face? He said, well, after a man's 40, he's responsible for his face. And many people, after, after they get older, they become negative, And their countenance becomes sour. I know that uh, our bodies begin to wear down, and you know, depending upon the trials that you go through. Uh, but some people, they don't do that. Some people age, they become sweeter, they become more gracious. And it's not because they've had an easy life. I've told Paula more than once, uh, when I get old, I want to be like Calvin. Don't you? When I get old, I want to be like Calvin, because Calvin reminds me of Jesus. He has a sweet life. He has a sweet expression. Uh, if you're not careful, your trial can become your identity. Your pain is not just your problem. It becomes who you are. And it becomes an excuse for negativity, being grouchy, becoming bitter. Uh, when you have a, a, a physical setback, that's, that's especially true. But it's true not just physically, mostly. And you can just allow that to define you. And uh, I don't want that to be true of me. I, I know you don't either. That's not found in the Bible. The Bible goes contrary to that. I want to talk to you tonight about joy in adversity. Joy in adversity. God can give you joy in the middle of your problem. And some of you are just saying, well, I'm going to take a nap. Because things are going real good right now. And he already opened up and talked about old people. I'm not old. And, and, and things are going real good right now. We'll just take notes and file it under. Create a file. Rick said I would need this one day. And put it down there. And about every six months look at it and pull it out and say, wow. It didn't speak to me then. But boy, it speaks to me now. The Bible says in Psalm 16 and verse 11. Speaking of God, thou will show me the path of life. I like that. The path of life. The Bible speaks about an abundant life. We walk with God, we have life. 
in thy presence is not just joy, but fullness of joy. When you spend time with the Lord, you get fullness of joy. At the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that a good verse? Read through the Psalms, and every time I come to Psalm 16, I can't wait to get verse 11 because I know what's there. The Bible says in Psalm 5, verse 11, But let all, all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Have you ever put your trust in Christ? The Bible says rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Even times when you can't see it, God has defended you, and ought to be grateful and joyful. Let them, all, let them also let love thy name. Do you love the Lord's name? Do you love the Lord? Be joyful in thee. You may not be joyful in your circumstances. You can be joyful in his character and his heart. These are good verses. And just a couple of more here. I just sampled some here about the joy of the Lord. And the Bible says that the Bible itself, as you spend time in the Word of God, this is one of the byproducts of having a meaningful time alone with the Lord. And you read the promises of God. You see fresh truths. Uh, and it gives you joy. How many days have I started the day and didn't feel well or just had a, a very serious matter at hand and I was able to get in the Bible and see some things. And uh, even this morning, I didn't have a lot of serious things at hand, but just God just buoyed me up. It was so good, just so good. And I wasn't studying for my sermon. It was just for my soul. John chapter 15, verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you. He's talking to the disciples the night before he was crucified. But I want you to see there, these things. He's talking about the Word of God. You can put it like this. These things, these things I have given unto you, if you will. Why? Why did God give us the Bible so we could read it? That my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That joy is not having a, a, a silly plastic uh, artificial grin. I, I think you're with me on that. I don't like to be around people like that that are surface. Do you? I just don't. After a while, I don't trust them. It makes me hold my, my wallet a little tighter. feel like they're up to something. But I like to be around people that, that are full of joy. There's just a well springing up there. And then he wrote John also, the same John in 1 John, chapter 1 and verse 4. He said, in these things, very similar but a little different, these things, that is the book of 1 John, write we unto you, that your joy may be full. I could, without doing violence to the text, say, in this book, this book have I given to you that your joy may be full. But here's a question tonight before I give you some things to think about. Would this be the normative experience for most Christians? That they would have full joy on a consistent basis, on a daily basis? And if I could narrow the question... Is it your experience? Are you full of joy? When's the last time you had a fullness of joy? Are you a joyful person? If you're not, ask your, ask your husband, ask your wife, ask your parents, ask your children. Ask the people that know you well. Are you a joyful person? 
Are you a happy person? Now, I know this is not a, a spiritual thing, but uh, we went out today. I, I texted Jake. I said, well, today's your the last Sunday. I'll be at church with you when you're single. Last Sunday, single day. And uh, so I texted him later. I said, once you go out and eat with me and Mom, Alyssa had a, a function to go to after church related to the wedding. And so uh, he and Connor went with us, and Paula ordered something, and she often does. She says, and I, and I would like that on the side. And people were ordering, and she was looking at something, and I ordered chicken and rice. And I, I looked at the waitress, and I was winking at her, and said, and I want my chicken on the side. Winking at her so she would know I was goofing off. She said, what? So Paula, she said, what do you mean, chicken on the side? Yeah, well, you got something on the side. I wanted something on the side. And I said it just like that, real dry. I want it on the side. She said, oh, it's just gone. He's just always like that. Just get, bring chicken and rice. And Paula has no joy. Is she in here tonight? Good. She needs to be. Somebody get her the CD. The joy of the Lord will be her strength. So she came back, and I, I did, did something else on the side. So we, we paid the bill. I got the check and signed my name to it. And Paula was on the outside. And the lady grabbed and said, hold on, hold on for a minute. And, and she stood back. The waitress did. I said, I wanted to pay it on the side. And I just laid it on the side like that. And she just laughed. And she walked to me. Jake said, Daddy, I couldn't see her. He said, she's still laughing. Now, I know that doesn't have a whole lot to do with the joy of the Lord, but I'll tell you this much, people that have, they don't have joy, they don't live like that. They don't think like that. They don't see anything funny. I'll just have chicken and rice, and you know, this is stale, blah, 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 blah. When's the last time you had fullness, fullness of joy? One of the things I love about the book of Philippians, it's a joy book. Anytime we go through a new section, I like to give an overarching view uh, to remind you as we go through a book of what the book is about. There are three dominant themes in the book. The first theme in the book is is joy. Uh, The joy of the Lord. The second theme is Jesus Christ. And the third theme is partnership or fellowship. You will see those three themes as you read the book of Philippians. And you take your pencil or pen and you look for those three things. You will see them over and over and over again. The key verse in the book of Philippians is chapter 1 and verse 21. Look at it. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, some people, and, and they're not wrong, I suppose, but they say, well, it's Philippians 4, 4. You know, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Well, I think that the byproduct of Philippians one twenty one is Philippians 4, 4. If you don't practice one twenty one, you're not going to have 4, uh, four, four. The theme of the book is Jesus. In fact, in our text, uh, we'll see here in a moment, Jesus is mentioned in every verse. Jesus, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ is most often mentioned in the book more than anything. And so as I studied this book a a year ago for my own benefit, I came to the personal conclusion that the key verse is chapter 1 and verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Uh, 
And each chapter has a specific theme. It's kind of like the outline for the book. Chapter 1 is Christ is our life. He is our life. He's why we live. And He's everything. Chapter 2, He's our example. Uh, He's our example in humility. He's our example in service. Chapter 3, Christ is our treasure. We are to pursue Him because of His value. And then chapter 4, Christ is our source. He's our source. You could also put some other synonyms in there. He's our strength. Chapter 4 and verse 13. um, I can do all things uh, with Christ who strengtheneth me. Or He's our supply. He supplies what you need. Philippians 4, 19. But Christ is our source. So Jesus Christ is all over the book. So joy is to be the normal experience of our walk with God. Now here's a question. We'll give you get something practical here in a moment. What what can I do? What can you do in the middle of a trial to experience joy? It's really going bad. And things are tough. It's going uphill for a long time. I talk to people in our church and unfortunately it's usually in the worst of their times. And uh, what can they do to, to have some joy? That's when you need the joy, you know? Well, here's the statement, and this is kind of the, the thesis statement, the big idea of these three verses. And we're just going to look at even not even one whole verse. I'm going to give you one little simple thought tonight. And here's the idea, that if you're going to experience joy, if you want joy... You must appropriate the resources that God has given to you. It's simple, but it's true. If you want to experience God's joy, you must appropriate His resources. They're within reach. Uh, Joy is a gift of God. So he writes the book of Philippians, a prayer letter from his heart, and he updates them. They're concerned about him. He's in prison there in Rome. And uh, verses 12 through 14, we won't read them. He says, hey, listen, don't worry about me. Just like Tim read some missionary letters tonight. He says, hey, don't worry about me because my suffering has advanced the gospel. Look at the last line in verse 13. The furtherance of the gospel. He said, don't worry about me. The gospel is being furthered. I'm in prison, but uh, even some of the prison guards are being saved. And then we looked at uh, the section in verses 15 through 18 about these, this group that opposed him, that was criticizing him. said, listen, don't worry about me being opposed because at least Christ is being preached. And he gets the focus, the spotlight off him. Don't worry about me. And then here in this section that we'll read about in just a moment, he says, don't worry about me because whatever happens to me, even if I die, Jesus is going to be exalted. Don't worry about me, because even if they execute me, if they let me go, if they execute, whatever happens, the name of Jesus will be exalted. Now, there's four resources that God has given to us to joy, to abundant joy, to fullness of joy. And they're here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Would you read it with me? Look at it. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. There's one of the mentions of Jesus I told you about. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, 
So now also Christ, there's another mention of Jesus. So Christ shall be magnified, that's the issue. In my body, whether it be by life or by death, by execution, or if I get out and I live. And here's the third mention of Christ. He's in all of these verses here. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Four resources. Let me just give you the first one tonight found in verse 19. The first anchor that will help you to have joy. This is so good. This will bless you. And it is the blessing of certainty. The blessing of certainty. Paul had confidence in his adversity. I want you to notice in verse 19, if you would, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. He said, for I know, notice that, for I know. Paul was not in doubt, for I know. Look at verse 25, if you would. And having this confidence, I know. He was in prison, but there there was something that he was certain about that he had complete confidence in. Now, this is if you're going to have joy, you got to have this confidence, and it's not drummed up. It's not something that you can just say, well, I'm just going to believe in myself. That's not what I'm talking about. You see this in a moment. Verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. For I know this, I know this. The word know there... There are different shades of it in the original language, in the Greek language. The word know here, K-N-O-W, has the idea of, listen, of absolute knowledge. Absolute certainty. It means this. It was a conviction that Paul had. Now, there's not a lot of things that we can be certain about. And as the song goes, uh, Paul didn't know what his future held, but he knew who held his future. And that's where his joy came from. Now, if your joy is knowing what your future holds, you're not going to have any joy. But if your joy is certain in who holds your future, you can have joy. Because when fear and doubt and anxiety creep in, you lose your joy. Man, are they going to lay me off? Are they going to cut my salary? You know, is the test going to come back negative? You know, if, if, if. And all these ifs just eat away at your, at your certainty. And God says, one, one of the blessings, one of the anchors, one of the resources that I've given to you, that you can have joy, is a blessing of certainty. Security is the result of being certain about my hope. Insecurity is when I do not know what I have based my life upon. And listen to this. Insecure people do not have hope. They do not have joy. They go together. The blessing of certainty. You've got to have... This is not arrogance. This is confidence in the nature of God. Now look at the text again. Let it sink in. One of the benefits of, of preaching is you're able to spend time in the text. For I know, he said, I know that this shall turn to my salvation. I know. This knowing that he speaks of is is not based on what he sees. But it's based on on faith in God. The things that had happened to Paul up to this point were different than what he had planned. The truth is, is he didn't know his future. 
He didn't know if they were going to let him go. He didn't know if he would be a life or in prison. He didn't know if he was going to be executed. He didn't know a lot of things. And when your plans are interrupted, whether it's with your children, with your marriage, your spouse leaves you, whether your job, with your health, whatever the issue, when your plans are interrupted, you can either be disappointed or rest in the certainty that God has a clear purpose for that. And here this great man of God, and really just a man, a better way to say it perhaps, is a man that had a great God. For I know, those are blessed words. I've rested on those words in recent months. For I know. I have a friend in the city I went to high school with, went to junior high school with, and he was also friends with the, with my, my best friend who was killed in a car wreck back in 1979, about this time of year, 40 years ago. And so uh, he, he called me and he said, are you going over to the cemetery? And I said, yeah, I am, uh, on the day of his death, which was the day after his birthday. I said, I try to do that every year on that day. He said, could I meet you there? I said, sure, you can do that. And so uh, he met me over there. And uh, on one side of the headstone is, you know, the birth date and the death date and so forth. And then on the other side is engraved Romans 8.28, the verse, and then the complete verse, the whole verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them of God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So I was going to witness my friend, and I said, uh, do you know how that verse got put there? He said, no. So I began to give the testimony of my friend and how you've heard, you've heard this, maybe you've forgotten it. But it fits in the story here, so I'll give it real quick. I said, well, he was, he was spending the night with me one night, and uh, he was looking in my Bible. And in front of my Bible, he saw all these signatures. I said, you know, I need to have you sign my Bible. I never had, never had you sign my Bible. And he said, okay. And so we got a pen, and I opened my Bible, and, and he signed my Bible. And he says, well, what are these, what are these numbers under all the verses? Or all the names. I said, well, those are Bible verses. People have a Bible verse that they like a lot. And so uh, they, they pick a verse that is meaningful to them. So they, have, they call it a life verse. He said, I don't have a life verse. So well, I have a couple. I said, you can borrow one of mine. I said, I'll show you some of them. And I showed him a couple of them. And I showed him Romans 8.28. And I really like that one. I like that one. And so under his name, he wrote R-O-M period 828. After uh, a few days after his death, and we buried him the next weekend. I had to go back to school. We buried him on a Monday. And I had to go back to college. And then I came home the next weekend because I came home every weekend to work in the church. Went to see his mom, talked to her. I took my Bible and to comfort her with that verse, I said, I want to show you something. Opened it up and I said, David signed my Bible. And she was a sweet lady. She said, oh. I said, and see, he wrote this Bible verse down here. I said, would you like to read it? And she said, yes, I would. So I opened up and read the verse. And you don't have to explain much. It's pretty self-explanatory. And uh, her name was Frances. I always called her by her first name. I knew her pretty well. And as Frances said, it just means, doesn't mean everything is good. But it means all things, all even the bad things, they work together for good. 
God has a plan. We don't understand it all. And uh, she quietly nodded. And within the year, I went out there one day to his grave, and there was the head marker. And there was, there was that verse. She never told me. She put that verse on his headstone. So fast forward decades, and I'm standing there with my friend that had called me. Could he meet me out there? And I'm telling him that story. And there's the verse. And he said this. He said, you know, Rick, he said, it all just seems so random to me. What happened to David? It just seemed so random. And he was saying it out of a broken heart, not out of bitterness. It just seemed so random to me. I've thought about that a lot. I, I think many Christians feel that way. Life's just random. I was uh, with uh, someone that had a, a very painful type of cancer. He'd suffered severely. And I was talking to his wife away from, from him. I said, well, how is he handling this? this is what, these were not believers. How is he handling this? I'll never forget what she said. She said, oh, he's stoic. He's just stoic. He just sits there and stares off. Just stares off into the distance. He just doesn't smile. Just kind of bears the pain and the burden of it. Six weeks later, <clears throat> I attended his funeral. There's no joy there's no joy in this type of life. I'm not talking about a Pollyanna view of life. Life is hard. I'm not talking about putting a stupid grin on your face. I'm talking about the fullness of joy, sometimes through tears. Some of the most important things in your life are never understood in this life. But they're received through the eye of faith, trusting in God. The verse doesn't say, let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say and we see that all things work together for good. We'll see that on the other side. It says, and we know in this life, and we know. And so I take that by faith. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now look at your Bibles open. Look at Philippians 1.19. For I know that this, this... I know that this, being in prison, includes the all of Romans 8.28. Paul said, for I am certain about this, that one day it's going to turn. I know that this, this imprisonment, this limitation, sometimes this pain, this suffering, being made fun of on the outside by other Christians, I know that this will turn one day. But it includes the all things in Romans 8.28. Now listen carefully. If you have to understand everything, you will never have joy. And that's kind of the message for tonight. The certainty is not you understanding everything. The blessing of certainty is not, well, I'm certain I know everything. Because you don't. But if, if you require that God explains everything to you in this life. He's not. You will never have joy. Jacob had lost his beloved son, Joseph, and uh, he had been in grief for many years, for almost 15 years, 
under the assumption that he had died by an animal when his boys had deceived him. Now Jacob the deceiver had been deceived by his sons. They took the garment that had been made for him and they they put it in the blood of an animal and brought it to him. And you know the story how they went to Egypt and they discovered that he was alive. They went back and said, Dad, Dad, Joseph is alive. He's alive. You remember the story how that he initially refused to believe. And I can kind of understand that. I've got a little bit of that in me. Some negativity. Genesis chapter 42 and verse 36. The Bible says, Jacob their father said unto them, Me have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not. Joseph is dead. And Simeon is not. Joseph had kept Simeon in Egypt. And, and, and Jacob is so negative, he's thinking, and now he's got the other one, and I've lost two boys. They're gone. And now he wants to take Benjamin, Joseph's little brother. I don't think so. No, I'm not losing three. Now, I want you to notice the last line in Genesis 42, 36, because this, is, this was his heart. Here's what Jacob said. He said, all these things are against me. Life is against me. Now that that is 180 degrees opposed to what Paul, who's in a prison in Rome. Interesting, he wrote it to the Romans, isn't it? He's in a prison in Rome and he wrote Romans 8.28 to them. Jacob said, all these things are against me. Paul said, no, the Christian message is all these things work together. For good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so Jacob later realized that his perspective was wrong. And he had joy then. But during the time that, listen, during the time that he felt like these things are against me. And during the time that he felt like he had to understand everything, he didn't have any joy. Maybe you're here at night and you say, you know, I, I just don't have any joy. And I can't figure out what's wrong. Maybe that's it. You're just afraid to trust God anymore. You feel like God's let you down. You know, you tithed and maybe he didn't provide the way you thought he would. You've heard some stories and you thought, well, he'll do that for me. And God doesn't always do it in the same way. It's a timing issue. Sometimes you'll wait till you need it. You just were disappointed. And your testimony is like Jacob, rather than Paul. All these things are against me. And Paul is in a prison. He's limited. And he's in Rome. In Philippians 1.19, he says, For I know that this shall turn. I know that one day this is going to turn. Listen to this statement. Joy is trusting God for good. And his best, in spite of present evidence. Joy is trusting God in spite of present evidence. And believing that he is good. Trusting God for good and his best, in spite of present evidence. The Bible says in Job, I'm spending a lot of time here in Philippians 1, 19. I'm doing it on purpose because we're looking at the text here. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. This shall turn 
to my salvation. Many Bible scholars believe that Job, that, that I keep saying Job, Paul was thinking about Job right here because he got these words from Job chapter 13 and verse 16. When Job said, He, speaking of God, shall be my salvation, future tense. Now, He is my salvation, but He's going to get me out of this. One man said about this, listen, Job correctly understood that his terrible suffering was not God's punishment for sin. Like Job, Paul fully believed that God would one day deliver him, both from his physical afflictions and from the false afflictions of those who wrongly insisted that all of his suffering was a result of iniquity. That's what Job was going through. Job's the oldest book in the Bible. Paul had read that, and Paul Paul said, I kind of identify with Job. Job didn't know why he was suffering. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We have the benefit of looking at Joseph's life and and, and from the 40,000 foot view. And say, oh, what a great story. Well, you, you tell Joseph that. We look at Job's life and say, what a great story. Well, you tell them that we're in the middle of it. You see, you, you can have joy even when it's hard. Philippians 1.19, for I know that this, that's your trial, that's your suffering, that's your pain, that's your loss. For I know that this shall turn, this shall turn, this. It's easy to lose your perspective and certainty in times of, of pain. If you lose confidence in God in adversity, you're just listening to Satan. Satan's primary goal is to get you to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt the wisdom of God, to doubt the purpose of God, and say this, this is to no avail. You know, Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul you go back a little bit in chapter 12, verse 1. God said, I'm going to give Paul a thorn in the flesh. And I have purpose for it. And uh, he, called, he called that thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan. It's a messenger of Satan. So God didn't give him the thorn in the flesh. The devil did. Now, this, this is way above my pay grade right here, but I'm, I'm telling you what I know about it. So the devil is on a short lease with God. And the devil's doing the Lord's work, even though he doesn't do it. Because God uses all things for his good. God can't do anything bad. And so the devil wants to, to destroy you through a trial. And this messenger of Satan is meant to destroy you. But God wants to do good with it. And there are many times with, with my own situation and my own sickness where I was tell the, tell the Lord more often than I wish. You know, Lord, if you, would, if you would remove this, this affliction, I'd be more effective. I don't have any energy. I get tired easy. And I won't go through some other things right now. But I, I would be better. I've lost confidence in a lot of areas. I, I could be better. And uh, he said, I don't think so. Well, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the perfect will of God? 
the loving hand of God or am I going to listen to the messenger of Satan? Now listen, if I listen to the enemy, I lose my joy every time. Every time. But if I listen to the fact that only a kind, gracious, good, all-sovereign God would permit something to happen that would even grieve his heart. I knelt down with uh, my friend uh, Alan Burdett on Friday afternoon about 4 o'clock before we left Columbia in his home and prayed with him. I went over to him, got down on my knees and just put my arm around him. And I said, Lord, I know Alan believes that on the cross that Jesus died for our sins and He died for our iniquities. But you said, you said in Isaiah chapter 53 that you, that you bore our sorrows. And He is grieving, He's sorrowing. I pray that you would comfort Him, the God of all comfort. And minister to Him. Listen, God sorrows when you sorrow. I don't understand all that, but the Bible teaches it. If you wait until you see all of the picture and every little thing is together and it makes sense to you, you will never have joy or peace, ever. And listen carefully, those of you that are younger. Life gets sweeter if you will take that picture. If you don't, if you don't, it's going to get harder. And you're going to get harder. Because there's some things that don't make sense. I was praying for Hank and Leota. I miss them. They're good people. They're faithful to the Lord. It's so good to have you tonight, Charles. We love you. We've been praying for you. There's a lot of mysteries that in our little church we've gone through. Just try to figure it all out. You get, you get all out of sorts. You lose your joy. Can I show you a few more verses? I'm about finished. Look at chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 7. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit could have instructed Paul to keep out that clause, and it could have just said, In the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, and it would have ministered to us greatly. And it would have been true. But the Bible there says, In the peace of God which passeth all understanding. You see, there, there's a part of the peace of God, and it's not a peace that God gives. It's his very, the very peace he enjoys. That, that I can't contain, I, I can't comprehend. I just must rest in it. When I try to figure it out, I, lo- I lose peace. And when you try to figure it out, you lose his peace, you lose his joy. A similar thing is given to us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19 about the love of God. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge... The love of Christ passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. 
God has given us enough of His love to know that He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and we can get enough of that to know that He loved us. That is incredible. But the Bible here says the love of Christ passes knowledge. Maybe that's part of the wonder of heaven, just discovering some of the love of God every day in eternity. We will never discover it all. The peace of God is beyond my understanding. The love of God is beyond my understanding. And listen to this. The joy of God is beyond your understanding. And again, when you try to put your your hands around these things, you try to figure these things out. Why did that happen? Why didn't God do it this way? You, You lose joy. Well, preacher, you're being simplistic. No, I'm being biblical. Again, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19, For I know that this shall turn. He, he, didn't, he said, I know, I'm certain about it. He didn't know how. He just said, I know. He said, I'm certain. Well, Mr. Paul, tell me, well, I don't know. I just know. I know that I know, but I don't know how. Not only is this true of the peace of God and the love of God, it's true of the joy of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, notice in verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I want to stop there. Now, it doesn't take faith to know what heaviness is. You can't sleep. Tears, sorrow, pressure, burdens. We understand that. Manifold, which means multiplied trials. But you know what it takes faith in that verse? You greatly rejoice, though now for a season. From God's perspective, it's a season. Well, from my perspective, it's a long time. From eternity's perspective, it's just a minute. I've never been one of those guys, and you know what I'm about to say, to come and say, well, just rejoice. It's just a little bit. In heaven, you won't be like this. Yeah, I know all that. But I feel that thorn in my foot, and it's causing me so much pain right now. And pain is still pain. I know it. Let the Holy Spirit tell me that. The timing of this takes faith. And, and watch this. You greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be. God says, I need the trial. Sometimes I don't know the purpose in it. What is the need in this, God? I need this? Okay. All right, I'll, I'll take that. Will you tell me? He said, nope. See, it takes faith. The timing, the purpose. So I need, I need to rejoice, greatly rejoice, and by faith, in spite of the timing and the purpose, when I'm going through heaviness. Now, continue verse 7, I think, that the trial of your faith, not the trial of the Christian, the trial of his faith. Your faith is on trial. Being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And it will be worth it all one day. Whom? Now watch this. Pay attention. The whom is Jesus Having not seen, ye love. I've never seen him, but I love him. That takes faith. In whom thou know ye see him not, yet believing, I've never seen him, 
but I believe in him. And I rejoice. How? Watch this. With joy unspeakable and full of glory. Isn't that something? I don't see him. I don't even see his ways. I know they're right. I know they're perfect. His way is perfect, the psalmist said. But I believe. And because of that, I can rejoice with unspeakable joy, full of glory. You know, when you got money in your pocket, life is smooth, you're comfortable, you haven't experienced loss. It's easy to say all things work together. But that's not easy to say when you're standing at the grave of a loved one. Or the doctor comes in the office and gives you a negative report that you didn't want to hear. Or your body's hurting. And if you don't handle this right, you're going to be a bitter man, a bitter woman, or a bitter young man in midlife. Learn to say with Paul, Philippians 1.19, I know the blessing of certainty. I don't know why, but I know that this shall turn. I just know he's going to do it. I know him. I don't need to know how as long as I know him. Jesus told Thomas in John chapter 20 and verse 29, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have seen, not, have not seen, yet have believed. Blessed are they. If you're going to experience joy in trials, you must appropriate the resources that God has given. And the first one in the text here is a blessing of certainty. I know that this shall turn. I know that this shall turn. When I was in uh, Alan's home, he married Kathy, who was the uh, first secretary, actually the second secretary, Kathy Belcher, was the first secretary. And then we shifted her responsibilities, and Kathy Burdett came in. And uh, Alan told me uh, Friday afternoon, we were there for an hour and a half or so. He said, Rick, he said, uh, I looked up. He said, do you know when we came to Triana Village, that was the name of the church? I said, well, I knew it was early on. He said, it was the first day you were the pastor. I said, I didn't know that. He said, yeah, he said, the first day you were the pastor, that was our first Sunday. And I said, and you still stayed. And then he said this. He said, we were all kids, weren't we? I said, yeah. I said, Kathy was 29 years old, wasn't she? We were all kids. He said, Rick, I feel like a piece of me has been taken away. It's a piece of my flesh. A piece of my soul is gone. He said, my heart is broken. But God is good. My heart is broken, but God is good. Some of you have gone through this. You've lost your spouse. My mom has. Others have in here. 
God bless you. For this I know. It's hard. Joy is trusting God for good. And His best in spite of present evidence. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take